Before we get going into Maggie's story, I want to give a quick content warning that this episode contains references to content that may be triggering and difficult to hear. Some examples of this content are sexual assault, abuse, self-harm, and suicidal ideation. This trigger warning is to empower you as a listener to make a healthy decision about if and when and how you should consume this podcast. If you need support, please look at the links for resources we've listed in the show notes. Now, here's Maggie's story. To me, I felt like I wanted to help people the way that I was not helped. Mental health issues have come a long way from when I was younger, teenager, and all that kind of stuff. And that's just one of the things is that I just wanted to help and show families, you know, there's a stigma with the mental health, you know? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stronger Than You Think, a podcast by Youth Villages, and I'm your host, Sam Coates. In each episode, you'll hear a story of passion and resilience from an employee of Youth Villages, one of the top children's behavioral and mental health organizations in the country. Children with emotional and behavioral challenges and their families face unimaginably difficult circumstances, and it takes a committed, well-trained, and supported person to show up for these children and youth every day to help them find their path to well-being. Join us to hear from individuals as those on the front lines of this work as they talk about their career journeys and how their own personal experiences fuel their passion, making a difference every day. Our guest today is Maggie England. There are those people that take their pain and struggle and use it to help others. And that's exactly what Maggie has done with her career. As Maggie says, high school was tough. And so all she could do was work minimum wage jobs until one day she put her mind to it and went back to school where she got her bachelor's in social work from the University of Mississippi. And she recently finished her master's. Maggie knows firsthand what you need from someone who will be there for you when you are in the most challenging seasons of your life. As Maggie says, she's driven to help others the way that she wasn't helped. It's a privilege to release this week's episode with Maggie England. Before we get going, I want to tell you about the program that may be referenced today in this interview. MST program is intensive in-home services that use multi-systemic therapy and is designed for helping young people that are aged 12 to 17 who display serious antisocial behaviors or involvement with juvenile court, and they're at risk of placement out of the home due to their behaviors. Now, we're going to get to this week's episode. Maggie, great to see you. Hey, how are you? Well, I think you know how I am. We've been talking for 30 minutes. What's it feel like to get your own podcast? It is good. I've never done it before. So, well, hopefully, it's a good experience for you. I think it will be. What made you want to do this? Some one of my friends, co-workers, um, talked to me about it, and she was like, "I think it'll be a really good thing for you." And uh, she she told me more about it, like what it's going to be about and everything like that. And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm okay with talking about my life." Yeah. <laughs> Given your own story and what you've been through, what gave you the motivation to devote your career to helping people the way that you are? To me, I felt like. I wanted to help people the way that I was not helped. Um, I think that mental health 
issues have come a long way from when I was younger, teenager, and all that kind of stuff. And I feel that that's just one of the things is that I just wanted to help and show families, you know, there's a stigma with the mental health, you know. And so I wanted to help that. What do you mean with the stigma? People saying crazy, psycho. Um, If you have a counselor, therapist, something's wrong with you. And that's completely untrue. (laughs) So you felt that? Yeah. Because I felt like um, I just needed help and I needed somebody to listen to me, to help me through what I was going through when I was younger and help me find the way out type of thing instead of having to go a certain type of way. So you're saying you felt alone, you felt there was not much support, mm-hmm. and you had to internalize most everything that you were going through. Yeah. Even my family back then, they they said that um, it's, you know, just chemical imbalance and everything like that, but I still felt a certain type of way of how they were treating me, you know, like I was crazy type of thing. And um, that's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you share what happened to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was really depressed, and from what I know is that there was nobody else in my family that has ever been depressed the way that I was. I was being called lazy, you know, not getting out of bed, not going to school, eating too much. I'm a couch potato watching TV, you know. Yeah. I don't do no chores, you know. All I do is lazy. I'm not going outside, not participating in activities. I was just lazy to them. So, um, How old were you? I was about maybe, I was really young, 10. Okay. Like the very first time that my dad was a soccer coach and I was on the team, you know, and he would just be yelling at me, pick them legs up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, like I don't, yeah. And I was just like, I don't want to do this no more. <laughs> my whole family was a soccer team family and I was the only one that didn't want to participate you know, anymore in it because I just didn't, I just didn't have any fun or I just didn't feel like it. It just won your interest or you weren't passionate I, about it? I was. And that's one of the things you about were what? it. I was passionate about soccer. You know, I loved it, but I just didn't want to do it anymore. Like I didn't have that motivation. I didn't want to go out anymore and do it. Because of depression? Yeah, depression, yeah. And so you're about 10. Mm-hmm. So then what did it life look like up until from then to about 15? It got worse. I mean, I was saying I'm not lazy. I'm not, I'm not doing this, you know. And it's just the fact that one of my older sisters did have a certain type of eating disorder. So my stepmother, she knew kind of some things about it, you know. But it's just the fact that it wasn't typically known because it— that never happened before in the family. But when it got to a certain point where I couldn't tell anybody about what was going on, you know, of course I made an attempt, you know. And um, from then on, it it became serious when it shouldn't have gotten that way. So you were like 13? I was closer to 15, yeah. It got so bad. Um, beforehand, I did do self-harming, like cutting myself. And I was like, you know, 
wearing long sleeves and everything like that. I got scars, so that's why I wear long sleeves yeah. all year round, practically. Well, it is kind of chilly this morning. So <laughs> it was. I didn't know if you were getting ready for fall. <laughs> it smells really good. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, in the summertime, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. So, I mean, it's just to cover up the past, I guess, type of thing. But if I probably would have said something about it beforehand, they probably would have helped me before it got to a certain extent. But... Again, the stigma of it, saying, oh, you're crazy, you know? You were told that over and over again? Mm, no, it wasn't. I was told that. It's just that it was out there like it, like at high school, you know, oh, you're crazy if you think about this, if you think about that, you know? You were labeled that way. No, I wasn't labeled. It was just out there. You know, that's how come I wasn't talking about it, because I didn't want anybody to think of me like that. What do you mean out there? Okay, let's talk about, like, the school shootings, mass school shootings. Yeah. I was in middle school when, uh, I think, Columbine happened. Uh, there were some people who were loners, you know, the quote, loners. And that's just, you know, the uh, stereotypes and everything like that. Um, so then people take that and then bully or yeah. judge like, yeah. somebody else that it's, might— mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't want to be judged. I wanted to be the person that everybody liked, you know. <laughs> um, Were you able to mask it? Yeah. I feel like I was able to mask it, or just people overlooked it, you know, especially my family. They would overlook it and just put it as something else. So you didn't feel free Mm-mm. to open up no. about the pain or the struggles that you had, mm-hmm. and you felt alone. Mm-hmm. And then you saw your older sister who— had struggles as well. Well, see, no, I didn't know anything about that. Because y'all never talked about exactly. it. Exactly. We, we never would talk about anything, like, concerning that's mental health, you know? Never. That's how come I kept it to myself. And so then you were self-harming. Was there anything else that was, um, a, like, a consequence of not having help the way that you described it? I felt like I isolated myself from my family you know, like, just stay in my room a lot. Um, again, nobody would understand why I wasn't participating in stuff that I used to enjoy. You know, I didn't want to do it no more. I just wanted to be by myself and just be in this dark space by myself because nobody else wanted me around, I guess. I don't know. I've, it's just how I felt. I mean, I felt depressed at times, but a lot of times it's circumstantial. Mm-hmm. But for somebody listen to this, to where you're struggling with depression, you know, where it's in your head and you can't see the things the way that they are, and you have these thoughts. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you can maybe share to help people listening to this to truly understand what it's like to be going through it and to feel completely alone? I mean, there is help, of course, you know. I think that with the younger generations now, um, it is becoming more and more popular to talk about it. The fact that they have older parents who might not be able to talk about it, they are able to talk to friends, their social media, you know, their support groups, Facebook groups, you know. I love TikTok, and TikTok, you know, talks a lot about stuff like this, you know. There is help. And especially TikTok does talk about, you know, suicide hotline. It's, it's really hard to... Talk to your family sometimes if you don't feel that connection with them in that certain space, I guess. 
So what you're saying is because of how technology has advanced and how people in certain ways can be connected through technology, there's a lot more support that that extends past your immediate family, whether they get it or not. Exactly. And it's also out there saying, hey, I'm going through this too, so you're not really alone, you know? Whenever I see something like a post or anything, I see, oh, my God, that's exactly what I feel like, you know? So So if you could go back to your 10-year-old self, what would you say? I would say keep on going. Really? (laughs) You know? Yeah, try your best. Um, I mean, even at that time, that was my best. And just keep going. It's so much better. You know, it gets so much better as soon as you grow up, you know? Do you mind talking about maybe what happened? Was there a final moment to where you did try to end your life, but Mm -hmm. obviously you were able to get on the other side after that? Well, you know, I did try to attempt, and then they took me to the hospital. And so after the hospital, you know, I did serve. I did go to residential. And um, after that, you know, I still— it was still multiple times, you know. I even had to uh, stop going to school because the first times, the second times, it didn't work, you know. And that just continues to be like, why am I not getting better, you know. And um, having to keep on going so many times, it brings you down further because you feel like you're not doing something right, you know. Even though you have family, that is learning and what they need to do, you know, safety plans put in place. My mama even said that she put the knives in her trunk when I was having to go back over, you know. So one of the things that I wish that I had back then was what you feel is just has now in place, but we didn't have that. In two- and what's that? In-home services that are coming in, like, for the Intercept program, you know, three times a, three times a week, you know. I wish I did have that, even though I probably wouldn't have liked it back then. But (laughs) I wish I did have it. Are you also saying it would have helped your whole family? Yes. Yes. I do, because what I do right now is it's not just for the kid. It's for the whole family to understand and what they can do if anything does happen. We do the triggers. We find out what is wrong with what happens, what makes you want to do this. And is it because you have a bad day at school? Is it because you and your dad got into a fight? Is it because your dog ran away? You know, something like that. So you're saying, knowing what you've gone through and knowing what it was like with your own family and then knowing what, it, what also your family went through, if you had what you're able to do today where trained professionals are come in to love not just the person themselves, mm-hmm. but the entire family— yeah. And help everyone see in their own way and as a collective unit mm-hmm. how to get through it. Right. And it's, how to love each other and how to serve each other. That's exactly it. And that's one thing I like about, you know, as soon as, you know, like the discharge from Lakeside, instead of it being from like, this is what you need to do, how are y'all going to follow up? You know, we're, we've already left the facility. Y'all are going to call me like once and see how it's going. But what happens, like, I need more, you know. And that's one thing about, you know, you feel is just we get right there and there, you know. We get a referral, we're going to be there within, like, 24 hours that we get that referral, you know. Yeah. There's a tempo and there's an urgency mm-hmm. that I've observed in you feel just. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure 
certain people like it. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people don't. <laughs> Just kind of knowing human nature yeah. and having a lot of different observations mm-hmm. in a lot of different environments that I've had. But from somebody that's overcome what you've overcome, and for somebody that's given their career and their life to helping people and trying to give them an experience, what you didn't have, is there anything about that tempo or that urgency that makes sense to you? Yes. Yeah, as soon as I get that email being like, here's your new case, I'm like, I'm on the phone trying to get in touch with the parents, you know, like, can we do this now, you know? No, we can't do it now because we just got home. Okay, I understand, but can we do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so you're pushing, uh-huh. in the, yeah. and I mean that the right way. Yeah, I am pushing because I, I know what can happen, you know? The kid comes home, that night they get into a fight with their parents, and then they either leave you know, the home, run away, or they'll go up to the stairs and, you know, in the bathroom, not knowing what they're doing because the door's locked. When did you know that you wanted to pursue your college degree in this, your master's? I've always felt like I wanted to help people, even when I was younger, you know, and that's probably one of the things is like, I wanted to be that perfect person, you know, I want to help people, everything like this. You know, I went through a lot of things when I, in my adult life to where I couldn't really go to college when I was younger or at least the young, mid-20s, young 20s or anything like that. And so um, basically I was just working, you know, minimum wage jobs and everything like that. But then when I put my mind to it, I was like, I'm going to be a nurse, you know, so I can help people, you know. But then when I started, like, to be a CNA and everything like that, I wasn't fulfilling myself because I felt like I wasn't really helping anybody the way that I wanted to. So instead of helping somebody physically, I was wanting to help people mentally and emotionally instead. And so that's where I started talking to other people. And I was like, I don't really want to do social work because, you know, CPS has been in my life when I was younger too, you know. And um, I don't want to do that. Why not? (laughs) Because assault and everything like that, sexual assault. Yeah. I didn't like how my family took it. And it was a family member. And um, I didn't want anybody. I just didn't like how the social worker acted. Well, was it like this? Did you do that? Was it true? You know? And I was like, I was just getting all this pressure from my family. And I was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just stop, you know? Wait, so you were assaulted sexually? Yeah, yeah. This was before? Yeah. And you're saying that how it was handled, mm-hmm. and then also how it worked itself out with your family and how you they were skeptical of it or didn't believe you. Mm-hmm. And see, also, when probably, I mean, from adult men- mentality, I guess you can say, it came out while I was in Lakeside, you know, so. From you? Yeah. I talked about it in therapy, and of course, you know, they had to report it. But since I was already in treatment or something like that, not a lot of people believed me because of what was going on already. Attention-seeking type of thing, I guess you can say. I guess that's also where the depression came from, too, because it was when I was younger. You said, is that maybe where it started? Yeah, that's where probably it was. And holding it in? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I don't really think about it that much, a lot, but, you know. Yeah. If you actually stop and think, well, maybe it's so type of thing. So, What gives you the courage 
talk through this. Mm-hmm. A lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I mean, you know, with me being able to learn about what therapy is, social work and everything like that, I was able to help myself a little bit. And also, again, social media. You know, there's a lot of people who are coming forward about being assaulted or abused or anything like that. And I see them that it's really easy for them to talk about it. And even though it might not be easy at first, you know, yeah, so. I've generally only thought about social media in a negative way. Yeah. Takes up too much time, dopamine, distraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never thought about the power of reaching, having community. Yeah. Outside of your own, you know, mm-hmm. physical community. Yeah. I've never heard that or thought about that until the way I've heard you talk about it. I love it. And that makes me uh, rethink <laughs> some things that I've... Yeah. I mean, you know, social media does have its negatives, but the way I look at it is I just, I like everything that I see, you know. So you're saying there was a point in your life where you got serious about what you wanted to do, and now you, you have your master's today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you describe that moment where you got that clarity yeah. to where you, you're like, I am going to go get my degree? Yeah. I was, again, you know, I was going through so much. Like, I was trying to figure out how I can help other people. What is it that I can do? Because I didn't want to be a nurse at all. <laughs> and so I was just, like, talking to um, college people and, you know, telling them, you know, well, I had things for, you know, I like older people. I like caring for older people, you know. Like my grandmother, I was taking care of her for, you know, sometimes and everything like that. And that was one of the things that made me want to work with gerontology. But how can I be actually working with gerontology if I'm just a nurse type of thing? And what I really want to do is help people, you know, instead of physically. And so somebody said social work, and I was like, hmm. Don't really want to do right. that. Talked about that. Yeah. And so, you know, I looked more into it and I was like, let me just go ahead and give it a try. You know, and when I did it, I was just like, I love it. And you I felt even, it. Yes. And I even like one of my instructors was working with CPS in Mississippi. And I was like, he just made it sound so he he had a passion for it and made me have a passion for it. And I was like, I'm going to do that. So there was something inside of you yeah. that's there. And once you found it, and, you, really and, like, and your oh instructor, it just kind of created a spark. Yes, yes. Is it fair, give or take a little bit, a 20-year period there of the abuse mm-hmm. and depression, self-harm, all the way up to where you talked about you didn't get to go to college at a certain age where a lot of people go to college, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said you're working minimum wage jobs. So it sounds like a pretty good period of time there. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah. So it's not like anything happened. It doesn't sound like overnight Mm-mm. at all. No, it wasn't. And I was just like, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was getting, you know, overly, again, depressed and everything because bills weren't being able to get paid or anything, you know, stress. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, you know, what is it that I can do that will make me happy, will fulfill me? You know, and it was a journey, you know, in my 20s to do that. How did you find Youth Villages? I don't really even know. I went on Indeed, you know. And <laughs> on I saw, Indeed? Yeah, I went on Indeed. I didn't know anything about Youth Villages because at that time, I didn't think that there was anything in um Mississippi about it, you know. 
I went on Indeed, and I was just, like, looking for somewhere that I could relocate to in Memphis because Memphis, I was, like, one of my passions was homeless, too. You know, I was wanting to work with homeless people and all this stuff. But I went on Indeed, and I found this, and I was like, okay. And then I did my research, and I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> I saw the homepage, and I was just going through it, and I was like, well, I've worked with CPS, so there's foster kids. Y'all have foster you know, kids with youth villages and everything like that. I didn't know about all the programs or anything like that. I just went and applied with whatever I could. You know, they were like, even if you may not even have all the credentials, just go ahead and apply and see. They said and that. So, uh, it was just people in, uh, uh, when I was in Elmas. Yeah, they were just like, just go ahead. What was it. your first impression of youth villages? I just thought it was great. You know, that's the number one thing that I was wanting to do. But one of the things, the pay, of course, is to me is okay. It's good, you know. I can live off this. Okay, you're good. <laughs> yeah, or it's great. good. I mean, it's, you sound excited, listen, but you said okay. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, have to like, you know, tell people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love it. <laughs> you know, I, the benefits, everything, everything is just best, you know, because after, you know, I put in applications everywhere, you know, and everywhere else was not a livable wage to me in my eyes. And I wanted to be able to, I'm not saying, you know, I need to make this certain amount of money to live off of. You know, I just really want to be able to do what I want to do and not be stressed where, you know, I go back into a depression, you know, and all this other kind of stuff, you know, because even if you, you're, I'm still living with depression, you know, yeah. it's something that is not going to go away, I don't think, so... Just living with it. But I was just like, you know, I, I like it, you know. And so I just went ahead and did it. And um, when I had my interviews and everything like that, I love how they're recruiting. What do you mean by that? Instead of actually having an interview first, you talk to somebody before you have that interview. And what's the purpose for that? I think it's to weed in and out the people that would make a perfect fit. And I, I love so that. So they're trying to find the right people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love it. I thought that was really good. Because you can think about it, everything through the eyes Yeah. on the other side. Yeah. Instead of somebody just saying, hey, we need somebody, so we're going to hire you on the spot. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. What's it like in today's environment? Every organization that I'm with Mm -hmm. feels the pressure of providing whatever it is they do with a limited amount of folks to do it. What's it like from your standpoint being in an environment where there's a selective process on the person Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the need is huge. Yeah. The the selective process is, to me, is like, are you a good fit for us and for our families? To where, like, if the select, just grabbing somebody and being like, hey, you're hired. Well, if this person who just automatically got hired, they're like, hey, well, there's a better job over here. I'm going to go ahead and go. To where, the, with the selective process that E-Villages does, they're like, well, we see that you're a good fit here, and we think that you're going to like it. You know, we have all this support and everything like that. And so with all that, it's not just, you know, the money with you villages. You know, it's the support here, too, you know, with the teams, the uh, regional supervisors, coworkers, and all that kind of stuff. And I just love it. When you talked about wanting to work with homeless population as well, mm-hmm. I just couldn't help but think about your heart. And your kindness and generosity as a person. 
it's very humbling coming here and spending, (laughs) you know, 30 minutes at a time with the people that I'm with. And you just realize the work and the way you are, the way others are, and what they care about and what each person gives their lives to. From your standpoint, not necessarily asking you to brag about yourself, but if you think about your own journey, your own story, what you've gone through, what others did to you, but then you think about where you're at now. Listen, <laughs> I, I had just texted my sister the other day, and I told her, can you actually believe that we are here now? My sister became a social worker because of me. Really? Yeah. Her degree was in geology, my younger sister, and she saw me going through all of my the bachelor courses and everything like that. And she she just looked at me like, oh, my God, you know, this is what I want to do. And so we did different master's programs, but we did master's at the same time type of thing. And now she's um, she works with Department of Mental Health in Mississippi, you know, as a school social worker. And so I just, I was taught. Because of your influence. Yeah, I guess. I guess her seeing me, what I was was doing and everything like that, yeah. Something I read before that you get flexibility with what you do now. Is that true? Yes, Why do do you care about that? Because um, one of the things that working with mental health, um, I did work with Department of Mental Health to write out of the bachelor's, you know, um, before child protection in Mississippi. I worked there, and we only worked 8 to 5, you know, and where only the clients could come, the clients could come in 8 to 5, and that was our time specifically. You know, they don't want us after 8 to 5, you know. There's on call and everything like that. So um, the flexibility... With the non-traditional hours, hey, you know, I can work 9 to 5 if I want to, but sometimes meeting families after they get home from work, I can work, you know, after 5, and I can take that extra hour to be like, hey, I want to go out to the river for this hour, you know. It's really flexible, and that's one thing I love because you never know what's going to happen either. But it's built off of doing what's best. Or the child and the family. And that's and, one thing I love about it. Yeah. And then there's trust. Yeah. To take care of yourself, too. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And you're saying there's other ways organizations do things, but it can be rigid it can within be. the structure. And yes. if it's not taking care of the child or the family first, yeah. then you're saying it's not, a, it's not as effective as it could be. But then at the same time, if there's not flexibility, then each person can't take care of themselves, too. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. What do you want most where you're at today? For your own career? Oh, goodness. You villages, they support, you know, moving up. They they love leadership. Um, I get an email about leadership development every week, basically, you know. And that is one thing that I do love about you villages. Because even though I, I love what I'm doing right now, I also want to, you know, get up into another, like, supervisory position to where where my old supervisors were, they would help me, you know, and being like that support. And I want to be able to show other people, the newcomers coming in, you know, new employees coming in, like being like, hey, this is how you feel it just works. We care for you. We're going to give you that support. We're going to train you right, you know, what we need you to do, you know. And that's just one of the things is like there's a lot of available 
you know, position, lead way to move wherever you want to do. Like I was an intercept and now I'm in with the MST program. I get to learn new things and I don't want to be bored, but I want to, I, I want to keep on learning because I don't want to be stuck where other places you might be stuck at. Last question I have. When you think back and you talked about being lonely or being perceived a certain way that was not accurate. Mm-hmm. Was there somebody that you think about at a certain point that you will always have in your head that you know that was there for you? I wish I could say that, but back then I didn't feel like that. So there's nobody? Mm-mm. But, I mean, now I do know that my family is there for me, you know. I guess it is because I was, you know, it had to do the attempt to actually see it, I guess, and so many years to actually see it. But thinking back then, I don't see it. It's been an unbelievable opportunity to be with you. And thank you. Thank you for sharing everything that you did. And uh, I hope it creates a lot of impact for people listening to it. I enjoyed it. From Youth Villages, I'd like to say thank you for listening to this episode of Stronger Than You Think. And thank you, Maggie England, for sharing your story with us. For more information about careers with Youth Villages, visit www.youthvillages.org. That's youthvillages.org. We have also included resources in the show notes where you can find out more information about our programs. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to support the show, the best thing you can do is recommend it to a friend. Maybe share it with someone who you think might need it right now or is looking for their next career move. On behalf of Youth Villages, my name is Sam Coates, and I'm reminding you that you are stronger than you think. Before we go, here's a sneak peek at what's to come on our next episode with Youth Villages' own Rick Trell Harris. We'll see you back here then. For me, it probably would be movies and television, you know, that show you what this family, you know, is supposed to look like. And being a 10-year-old kid up until me going to college, me being a kid that constantly saw reminders of what family was supposed to look like and knowing that it wasn't that I wasn't able to have it, but my family looked different from the family that I saw on TV.